But at this point in the service, we have someone read a piece of the Bible. And I'm going to be referring to the Bible in what I say. Um, but you don't, you don't need it with you right now. Um, we're just, just going to riff for a bit, and then we'll, we'll get into praying, which is really what it's supposed to be. So officially, for Alice, who's over there, this is the sermon starting, kind of. You're recording it. Awesome. I want to tell you guys a story. Um, I'll tell you guys a story. It's actually quite a sad story. Um, it's, it's a story about my really heartbroken friend. Um, and uh, I don't think I really realized just how heartbroken he was until I started to prepare for this sermon. Um, he's, he's two kids, his first two kids. He loved them so much. Uh, he painted their rooms. He uh, did the garden up, prepped it, got it ready, you know, set it all up. It was good for them. There was water for them when they wanted it. There was food for them when they needed it. Um, and he only asked them to do one thing, which was to trust him. And every evening he'd come uh, to this space he'd made for them and, and uh, look out for them. They'd come from wherever they were doing what they were doing. They'd be like, hey, daddy. He'd be like, hey. And they'd hang out for a bit. Then one evening he came and he went to the garden where he always found them. And uh, they were hiding from him. It never happened before. When he asked them why they were hiding, they started to blame each other, which had never happened before. And in the space of a day, space of a day, they went from freely running around, doing really cool, incredible stuff, knowing that they were deeply loved by their father, enough that they didn't worry about what the other person thought about them. Deeply loved by their father that they could show themselves to each other honestly without fear or shame. So this father, when he saw them hiding from each other, his heart broke because he knew at that moment they had lost the one thing they needed, which was that real connection with him and the knowledge that he is the one who watches over them. They didn't need to work hard for it. He's the one who loves them, who has made everything that they can see for them. And he nursed this heartbreak. And in telling them the consequences of their decisions, uh, he, he put inside there just a little promise that actually, do you know what? Yes, my heart is broken about what you've done. My heart is broken about your inability to trust me. The story's not going to end here because I, because I love you and you, you are mine. You are mine. <laughs> so, so he starts again to not only remind them of this dance that they have where his breath and their bodies do something incredible to this planet starts this dance with them, 
trying to show them that trying to build a tower into heaven is not going to work because that's the same issue in the beginning. You didn't trust me to tell you who you are. And in the loss of who you are, you lost the power to be who I made you to be. Dancing. Dancing. And every once in a while, you know, just to remind them, he'd, he'd, he, he, would, he would allow one or two people to, to have this dance and share in it. And there was a chap who was good at carving things out of metal. And God was like, okay, here, receive this breath of mine and let's, let's dance for the people so they can see what you're able to make. And he made incredible stuff for this tent. When the tent was finished, God was pleased and he came and he rested among his people. The children of his children's children, his children, rested among them and they knew of this connection again, but not quite the same as it was in the garden. So even though God's spirit was in the tent, if you're following now, I'm in Genesis. <laughs> even though God's spirit was in the tent, it was a heartbroken dad. Because the place where he wanted to live wasn't in a tent made by human hands, but in the, the hearts that he crafted himself. Because that's where the dance is at its best. So years go by, years go by. What happens? Generations come and people continue to trust in themselves. And even though he sent people among them to say, hey, 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 guys, you can't trust in who you are. You have to trust in who God tells you you are. You can't build your way to heaven. You've got to receive it as a gift. The prophets, they still didn't listen. And uh, in one of the most heartbreaking moments in history, they asked for a king. They asked for a king. Having been fed, and, you know, this is part of the lie that we've been allowed to believe, that some of these stories we read in the Old Testament are just stories. But you consider, if they're not, that for 40 years, he fed a nation in the wilderness. You try feeding a family for 40 years. They would get up in the morning and outside on the, on the sand, effectively, was bread. And when they wanted meat, God sent birds they could catch. Who here has ever tried to catch a bird? You've tried. I've tried. What the Africans here will know. When it was your birthday, your parents sent you out to catch a chicken. Yeah? This is, this is back home. This is, you know. And that was, it was a joy and a pain at the same time. Because just when you think you've got it, it cuts a sharp corner. So by the time you're celebrating your birthday meal, you're also nursing wounds from the missus. You know? These guys, for 40 years, he fed them. He led them. He took them to water. He gave them bread. When they got to the place he was leading them, what did they say? We don't want to follow you anymore. Give us one who is like us to rule over us. Heartbroken. Heartbroken. 
He said to them, look, you know you want a king, but a king is going to do this. He's going to take your sons for soldiers. He's going to take your daughters for concubines and wives. It's not going to be what you think. And what happened? Not even two kings in. You know? <laughs> not even two kings in. What he said was going to happen, happened. And all the while from heaven, heartbreak. Heartbreak. With a temple, a land that he's given them again. Can you see the pattern? <laughs> they still turn away from him. And for 19 kings, they reduced the God of heaven into an inanimate idol to be put amongst all the other ones that are there. People would dance around a pole like it was God. I don't know what a pole can do for you. I've never really understood that to this day. But I don't say it from a place of righteousness because I know that money can be a God sometimes and it's just as inanimate. Heartbreak. Heartbreak. And I could tell you the story of the rest of the Old Testament, but it brings us all the way back to the point of Ezra where we began our service today in Nehemiah where after being, when God saw that they weren't going to turn to him, he took away the things that he'd given them so they could remember and understand what life is like without him present. And after years in the exile, he starts to allow them to trickle back home to begin to rediscover who they are in the way that they know, knowing that even that is not enough. But it's all setting the stage for the next part of the drama. The next part of the drama is the important part of the drama for us because now instead of just kind of hearing in whispers and seeing maybe in one example of two examples what this dance is supposed to look like when flesh is wrapped and filled with the Holy Spirit. God's going to show them for real now. And uh, in a backwater part of the country, um, a child is born to a virgin. And this kid does some weird stuff. Some really, really weird stuff. Uh, I saw, I saw a, a, one of these cartoons of um, Jesus' mother telling him to get into the water because it was bath time. But he was standing on top of the water. <laughs> on, top, on top of the water. I know it pokes fun, but that's the reality of who this chap was. When he went to a wedding and they were running out of wine, you know, filled this up with water, and then they taste it, and it's the best wine ever. You know, he encounters someone born blind. What does he do? He heals him straight away. You know, there's a story I was preaching today at a different church of this man who for 38 years had waited next to this pool. You know, every time the water stirred, he knew there was healing to be had. But he, he was too crippled to get to the pool in time. Do you know who surrounded this pool? This pool was surrounded by the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. How frustrating is that pool? Can you think about it? If you're blind and you hear the footsteps, it's too late. Someone's got there before you. If you're lame and you see the pool stirring, it's too late. Someone's got there before you. If you're paralyzed, how are you going to get to this water when it stirs? 38 years, he waits. Jesus comes to him, says to him, do you want to be healed? The man, I think he's offended. <laughs> he doesn't even answer straight away. He gives Jesus, Jesus the method. He says, hey, every time the water stirs, 
I try and go, don't talk to me like I've not tried. For 38 years, I've been here trying to make myself whole. It's not happened. 38 years. And Jesus says to him, all right then, take up your mat and go home. When flesh is filled with the spirit of God, the dance makes things like that possible. He's walking, he sees a a mum grieving the death of her son. They're carrying the the boy to be buried. He didn't sing in the songs, I don't know the songs, I'm just imagining what it would be like, you know, sadness and everything. He goes up to the boy, wakes the boy up, gives the boy to his mother. Now, his friends who are surrounding him can see that this is just not, this is not what normally happens. You know, normally, someone dies, what happens? You bury him, end of story. You go, you grieve for a couple of months, and then everybody leaves you alone to grieve for the rest of your life on your own. They go and live their lives. That's normally what happens. You know? Not for this Jesus guy. What's normal for him is, I see a dead man, what do I do? I see a blind man, what do I do? I see a leper, what do I do? The kind of woman who nobody wants in their house starts to cry at my feet. And with her hair, which shouldn't have been uncovered in that culture, she starts to wipe my toes. What do I do? Normal for Jesus. Normal for this word made flesh. Normal for this human being because this is what we were supposed to be, is that kind of deep love. And for the first time, for the first time in a long time, you hear joy in the Father when he looks down as his son is baptized and he says, you know, I love you, boy. Who you are makes me happy. I love you, boy. Who you are makes me happy. Which is what we're all craving to hear from him. <laughs> I love you, who you are. Makes me happy. But Jesus leaves us with a few things. He says, he says, I only do what I see my father do. I and my father are one. There's a connection between him and his father in heaven, which is rich, which allows for these things to happen. And when his disciples are sort of wondering and marveling at what he does, he says, ah, you know, Oh, you have little faith. You know that if you have enough faith, you can tell this mountain to go from here to over there, and it will do it. And they probably sat there like, what, what do you mean? Uh, Dave sent me a photo of two climbers who went to go hiking, but the mountain wasn't there. And the, the line at the bottom was saying, if you're going to move mountains, at least let people know. <laughs> you know he, says, he says, if you believe in me, this is, I could read it, then you know it's not just me talking. Very truly I tell you, John 14, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. So they're like, yo, for real? For real? All right, then. So what does he do in the scriptures? He says to them, all right, you know, what you're going to do is take nothing with you, go out, yeah, spend a couple of days, and go and do the things that I've been showing you that you can do. And what do they do? They go, don't they? The Bible tells us that in Luke. They go. 
just a shirt on their bag. They go and they do the stuff and they come back and they're so pumped up. They're like, yeah, woo, we did the stuff. Awesome. And then uh, what happens when it gets tough? And the going gets tough. How many of those same guys are there with him at the cross? Very few. And slowly, that same lie at the beginning, that same lie at the beginning, that this is how normal things happen. The dead stay dead. The sick stay unhealthy. The unloved stay unloved. Creeps in. We're not defined by God who walked among us. We're defined by those we're afraid of. Creeps in. And because they were afraid, they locked themselves in a room. They were afraid of all those who are around them, locked themselves in a room. In the beginning, those two firstborns, when they found fear, what did they do? They hid. And from each other, they made clothes. Same story happening. Jesus appears in the middle of them in this locked room. He says, peace be with you. And he breathes on them. What's he doing? What's he doing? Isn't that the same thing the Father did to the earth in the beginning? Exact same thing. I am inviting you into this dance. This dance that's going to make your lives normal. Because what you're living is not normal. Is not what I intended this life for you to be like. It's not. It's not and he breathes on them. And what happens? They get on a hype again. Yeah. <laughs> we celebrate on the 9th of June this year, Pentecost, which is a couple of weeks after this in a locked room experience where the Holy Spirit comes and he fills everybody. And these are the people who are at the bottom, back of the queue when it came to religiosity. They weren't the, the boffins. They weren't the priests or the archdeacon or the popes of this world. No, they were the shoemakers who... who, who open their stalls on a Sunday, the florists, the bakers, the mums, the dads, the teachers. Those were the people. Holy Spirit came upon them in the morning, early doors. It wasn't the 6 p.m. service. <laughs> it was 9, it was early in the morning, and just fell upon them. And all of a sudden, if you were French and you were amongst them, not that there were French people there back then, I don't know if they were there at that very place. But if you were there among them, what they were saying made sense in your language. Yeah? It made sense in your language. Absolutely made sense. How do you know what language I speak? Weird. But this is the reality of it. We call it weird when actually that is what's supposed to be normal. What we experience now is not normal. It's absurd. Because it's the thing that breaks the Father's heart the most. That the lives we lead aren't tinged with the sense of this dance where we trust in the breath of life to guide and steer us towards him and towards each other. That is normal. This is not. This is not. So they set out. Peter goes to the temple. There's a lame man there. And the guy asks for money, which is the normal thing to do if you're a beggar. Yeah? What's the normal thing to do if you, if you see a beggar? Give him some money. No? That's not the normal thing to do. Because the dance with the Holy Spirit, what does it say? It says, oh, hey, I don't have any money, but what I have, yeah, 
is, is a dad who's dope. Yeah. <laughs> My dad is a G. You know, he's an absolute G. I've seen him raise the dead. So I can tell you right now, yeah, in the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. And the Bible says, this same lame man, what happens? He gets up, and what does he do? He's walking and limping and praising God. That's normal. That's how it's supposed to be. It's not supposed to be like this. This is us locked in a room for fear of each other. And once we stop with the trust of each other, we hinder the Holy Spirit from allowing us to dance in the way that God made us to dance. We hinder it, we stop it. We enter back into that space in the garden where we are hiding from God when he's actually come just to hang out. You know, just to hang out. Peter walks on water with Jesus. That's normal. That's normal. That's normal. Us being afraid to dip our toes in the water, that's abnormal. That's not supposed to be how things are. That is not how things are supposed to be. No. Jesus ascending into heaven and disappearing into whatever, wherever, that's normal. How do we know? Elijah did the same thing in the Old Testament. He was taken up in chariots. And people around him knew it was going to happen. They were saying to his friend, do you know that he's going to be taken from you today? And his friend Elisha was saying, no, no, stop telling me. I know what's going to happen. And they went and they saw him go. And even in those days, there was doubt. So what did they do? They sent people to look for him like idiots. They sent people to the far corners of the wilderness to find Elijah, whom they saw go up in the clouds. Weeks later, people come back tired and weary. We couldn't find him. We couldn't find him. He's gone, you know. <laughs> that is normal. That is normal. This isn't. What's our current lie? Because 2,000 years have gone. Yes, we have a church, and it's, it's, good stuff happens. But I, I just want to point out the insidious lie that we are, we've allowed to settle in, and this is it. Over the last maybe 400, 500 years, um, the one place that people have decided to challenge in Christians' minds is the beginning, which is almost the, it's, it's the, the first words in our Bible. And the, the devil's been so good at saying to Christians, um, what you believe is stupid. God wasn't really there in the beginning. He wasn't really there in the beginning. You know, we kind of materialized. In the beginning, it wasn't God. It was chance, probabilities, or something like that. And we bought it. We absolutely took it, and we embraced it, and we tried to incorporate it into what we believe, shoving it somewhere in the middle of the pages where Jesus says something about, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We stick evolution in there and stick the pages together and go, oh, yeah, we're fine. But actually, this is insidious because if we believe that bit, it tarnishes the rest of the story. And you're left in a world where generations and generations are living unaware that they have a father in heaven. Frustrated by it. I don't know how many people here are connected to someone doing exams. I, I have struggled with this. My little sister I was talking to you, Zoe, about earlier, she's doing exams, and she's stressed out about it. And in my mind, I'm thinking, if you know your father in heaven, and you know who dad is, and you know what he says about you, yeah, then passing exams isn't about how studious you are. You're supposed to be studious, yeah? 
but actually it's about glorifying God. It's not about defining your life because he'll do that for you himself. The world has got you afraid of what people will think about you if you don't succeed at this one thing. It's eroded the connections and now you're isolated. When there's this dance you could have, this dance, which is normal, where he says, I've given you not a spirit of fear, but of love, power, and sound mind. And again, somewhere else, the spirit of adoption, by which you cry out, Daddy, Daddy. We have been convinced that feeding with the pigs, like the prodigal son, is normal life. And somehow, being at one with the Father who calls out to us with a broken heart is abnormal life. Science, quickly, at the minute, is realizing and has realized that it can't explain everything. And so all those things that were built upon this idea that God and religion is something to put on the sideline will fall away in many of your lifetimes. And I think God's, because he's heartbroken, and his heartbreak is for someone he can still sing a song of love to, is going to continue to sing his songs of love. And he's going to continue to invite people into that dance. He's going to continue to say to people to be courageous, to seek that connection again. He's going to continue to do it going to keep pointing people to the Big Bang and saying to them, okay, what was before that? Which sounds like a stupid argument, but actually, no one's given an answer. You're left at the same place you were before. You were before. And slowly, these have been relegated to myths. And the things that actually make for people to live a full life have been lost. And so, I connected with my heartbroken friend. And uh, my heart was broken because I realized for me, I had also bought into the lie. I bought into the lie that somehow the life I was living, good as it may have been, was normal. And that it was okay for me not to lay a hand on my child and pray for them. It was okay for me not to offer prayer to the person I saw on the street. It was okay for me not to say God loves you to my friends. It was okay for me not to pray for my brothers or to seek God's help on how to talk to them about faith. It was okay for me. It was fine. Why? Because I was ordained and that's, you know, somehow that makes it fine. <laughs> no, it doesn't. It doesn't. I was living a life that was not normal in God's eyes and his heartache was there. What does the Holy Spirit do? He stops us turning into one of these because this is what the devil wants us to be. Monochrome, monotone, all look exactly the same, no defining number or mark, you know, part from part of a conveyor belt. Oh, here, it's a girl. <laughs> oh, here, it's a boy. Oh, here, it's a girl. Oh, here, it's a boy. What are they going to do? They're going to try and sort things out themselves. They're going to follow the crowd. 
They're going to do as they're told. They're going to live in silos. They're going to fight someone else's battles. They're going to know no connection whatsoever to the God of heaven. What does the Holy Spirit do? Ten prints. Hold your hands out. Seriously, hold your hands out. Ten prints. Turn them to you. Each one of those is something that you're uniquely here on this earth to do. And I haven't even counted your toes. Yeah? Ten. This dance could be phenomenal. Absolutely phenomenal. For us to enter that space, I just think connecting with this heartbreaking, heartbroken father is a good thing. I've got two weeks here. I've got two sermons. This is the first one. Um, I don't think I need to preach the second one. The second one is on the Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost, which will happen on the 9th, which is my last Sunday. But this one, I think, is probably the more important one of the two. Because I think unless we do the repenting, the laying down of the things that we are just burdened by that stop us from dancing with God, the looking up, to ask our Father in heaven to, to really tell us who we are once again with all the ten prints. If we don't bring ourselves to the point of not being afraid of each other, to listen to God and to speak, we lose something. Um, I think we're going to start our sort of response time by inviting Maddie up. Maddie, I'm sorry I'm going to put you on the spot. Come, please come. Why am I inviting Maddie? Because Maddie's soon to go. In fact, today's her last Sunday with us. And um, uh, I have known Maddie for now about three years or so. Yeah. And uh, I'm sure that Maddie will be happy for you to listen to what God wants to say to you about her for her. Yeah? So I want you all to try this. Because this is what normal should be.